0: This is The Upside, a talk and music show on a theme that is upbeat and offbeat. I am your host, Jen Ferrara. Today I am speaking with Shamari Wills, the author of Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who survived slavery and became millionaires. And this is leading up to Shomari's going to actually be coming here to Vermont and signing books and talking about his book. This is all happening at the Clemens Family Farm. This is part of their event series, To Sing of Common Things, Making a Way Out of No Way. And here is a little bit more about Shomari. Shamari Wills is a journalist. He has worked for One Caribbean Television as a reporter, CNN, where he served as a producer for Don Lemon, and Good Morning America, where he won an Emmy as a producer. He's also contributed to Slate and Vice. Currently, he's developing a TV adaptation of Black Fortunes with Dear White People producer Stephanie Elaine. He's also hard at work writing a follow-up to Black Fortunes and a young adult book. Shamari received an undergraduate degree from Morehouse College and a graduate degree from Columbia University, where he was named a Linton Book Writing Fellow. Shamari was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and currently lives in Brooklyn, and so, hello, Shamari, thank you so much for being here today. Um, your book is fascinating. I would love to hear why this book, why now, what sparked the uh, inspiration for writing this?
1: Well, I think the, uh, you know, core motivation for I wrote why I wrote it is, uh, you know, two things. I just think the history of a lot of these, you know, hidden figures, the, uh, you know, early black business pioneers really needed to be, uh, documented together uh, in a way that um, you know, sort of, um, you know, you know, just put it on the record, and also, uh, you know, I was really felt so compelled to sort of debunk sort of some of the myths uh, about black people with money, uh, and money in the history of um, you know how black people established themselves economically uh, in this country, um, you know, and I was also, you know. You know, one of my uh, ancestors, my great, great uncle, was one of the first black millionaires in Philadelphia. So I was aware, you know, that there was this history of black folks with wealth early on in the history of this country that's not really talked about uh, a tremendous amount. And I just wanted to uh, try to tell the story.
0: I love it. I think you you really hit on something that is not talked about a lot. You know, these are all histories that were new to me as a white person, as a person who grew up in public schools and just reading, you know, the sort of standard history books. Um, and it actually really tied together a lot of pieces of, of American history in a broad stroke through these individual stories, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, and can you just say a little bit more about sort of how – how you sort of connected the dots because I know we like we start at reconstruction and we actually start during slavery and you know right at the tail end of the Civil War correct and then it sort of leads all the way through the early 1900s
1: yeah so the, the book spans a pretty um, pretty long period from you know the antebellum era starts in it really picks up in the 1840s um, 1830s and uh, goes all the way to the late 1920s the uh, Joe's age in the uh, Industrial Revolution, so it, it really kind of tells the story of, you know, African Americans. You know, most of them started um, with some relationship to enslavement in this country. Uh, one one person, Mary Ellen Pleasant, was uh, a free black woman. Another man, uh, Robert V Church, uh, was a slave, and also had uh, several folks who were either uh, babies during slavery and parents were slaves. Um, And they all went on to establish these great business careers, Um, not just African Americans, in a really, really profound way. Uh, And they're from all over the country, because I think collectively it sort of um, tells the history of African Americans' uh, economic legacy in this country.
0: So, yeah, so really trying to like, make these connections. Can you tell us, like was there one, um, one of the stories that particularly resonated for you or one of the anecdotes that you could share with us from the book?
1: Well, I think Mary Ellen Pleasant, um, you know, is, is one that really resonated with me. She uh, was a free black woman who grew up in uh, Conne- uh, sorry, Massachusetts on the island of Nantucket um, during the Welling boom. Which was a you know really really unique time. We you know hear about it kind of through the lens of Melville and you know sort of how it affected the men that were out on those whaling ships, uh, but we don't necessarily hear about the women um, during the whaling boom. Uh, and the whaling boom was a very important time for women because men all wanted to go out uh, to sea and try to hunt whales and you know strike it rich that way because it was a big you know industrial boom, mm-hmm. and that kind of left women uh, to run majority of businesses uh, back in these welling towns, the hotels, the general stores, um, the restaurants, uh, it, the welling boom created a uh, entrepreneurial boom for women. Um, and Mary Ellen Pleasant grew up in the 1830s and the 1840s um, in Nantucket, which was the welling capital of the United States, during that uh, boom with so many uh, women entrepreneurs around her. Um, when she got older, she eventually went out to California during the gold rush, which is another tremendous boom, and was kind of able to duplicate the things she saw in her childhood. She just became a serial entrepreneur in California, um, in San Francisco, um, just opening up businesses uh, left and right um, while all the men were up in the hills trying to mine for gold and start get rich. Um, you know, and she became very, very wealthy that way and actually used uh, some of her money to aid John Brown, uh, gave him about 40, $45,000 uh, to uh, support his raid on Harper's Ferry, um, which was, you know, a uh, <laughs> very, very risky move after he was caught. She was afraid she was going to be hanged herself like he was. Right. Um, And, you know, she went on for the rest of her life living in California, living in San Francisco, um, really using her wealth to aid women and African-Americans, you know, for the rest of the time she was on on the planet. Um, So I just thought her story was so interesting Um, and, you know, not only told a story about business and the history of African-American wealth, but also, you know, the entrepreneurial history of, you know, women in this country. Um, So she really struck the chord with me.
0: Yes. I thought her story was fascinating. And and it it seems like not just in her story, but a lot of the stories, there's a moment of sort of chaos that, you know, an uncertainty where these individuals saw opportunity where a lot of other people might not have seen an opportunity.
1: Oh, exactly. You know, I mean, they did things that would appear, you know, to be extremely risky, but they had, you know, a business genius about them, um, you know a lot of these risks paid off uh mary ellen pleasant went out to california during the gold rush which was very unusual for a black women, woman woman because there were not a lot of blacks that went out to california during the gold rush and there mm-hmm. certainly weren't a lot of women uh just started in 1849 when most black people were still enslaved mm-hmm. um so for her to go out there was really really daring uh robert lee church invested in uh, memphis and tennessee uh, he's a former slave who um, built a business empire in Memphis during the reconstruction period. And Memphis was really having a hard time uh, during that period. They had a really bad race riot. They had a yellow fever epidemic. The city actually went bankrupt. Um, and he was the first person to loan the city money uh, to uh, help it get, get it back on its feet. And, you know, he brought up property and invested in Memphis, even though it was having a lot of problems. And of course, you know, it became a big city and uh, that paid off for him. And, you know, all the characters in the book took risks like that that um, ended up paying off. And it was just, it was just part of their business genius.
0: Yeah. And I think what's really great is that in many of the cases, these individuals, they, they invested, they, they made investments, they made shrewd and maybe risky business decisions. And a lot of what they did also gave back in a bigger way and really transformed their communities.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, especially, you know, um, you know, if you sort of look at uh, the Manifest Destiny era, the Great Expansion era of the United States, where, you know, it's going from, um, you know, a small East Coast-based uh, country to expanding, you know, through the Louisiana Purchase and the Western expansion. Um, and so the country was really opening up. Um, and also, you know, Blacks were being emancipated, getting, Citizenship rights. And one of the things that uh, these folks did the time, as the country was growing is most of them established sort of a place for black people to be
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and to work and to build a life. Mary Ellen Pleasant helped build the black community in San Francisco with jobs and housing, business loans. Robert Lee Church was one of the architects of Memphis, as we know it today. Some people say he's the father of Gill Street. Right. Um, Ow, Gurley built Black Wall Street in Tulsa. Uh, another character, my Hannah Elias, um, was one of the um, developers of Harlem. Right. Uh, you know, so they all you know use their wealth and use their business acumen to you know sort of develop you know some of the early Black communities that are still you know really relevant today.
0: I, I also really appreciate that you shared their ch- the challenges they faced. You know that uh, I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of that sort of bootstrap language that goes around about people making themselves successful by themselves. And there's obviously many ways people get help, but there's also many ways people are hindered. And in each of these characters, there was something either like a legal, you know, challenge to their wealth or a physical threat of violence to their success that was really important to, uh, to spell out and make clear to people, I think, if you're really looking at what American history is all about.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, and you see, you know, the ways in which, um, you know, number one, the state was weaponized against these people by Mm -hmm. by racists. Most of them were sued or uh, there were attempts made to put them in jail. Almost everybody in the book you know, faced some sort of legal challenge. And then almost all of these characters faced a uh, physical challenge. They faced violence. Uh, Robert Lee Church was was shot. Um, Mary Ellen Pleasant had to go into hiding after she helped John Brown, um, you know, uh, the folks in Black Wall Street armed themselves and eventually had their town destroyed uh, because of the uh, challenges from racists that were surrounding them. And so they all had to deal with not only folks coming up into the legal system or worrying about being arrested, but also, you know, actually, you know, because of their status and what they were doing, there was a
0: tremendous risk that they would be killed. Mm. It's, I think you really do an amazing job of painting a picture of each of the stories. You know, really, I feel like we're there when we're really reading about these, these individuals. And I I keep wanting to say characters. And then I'm like, yeah, but they're people. These like real people, but it also was a lot of your book reads like fiction. And I know that to do that, when you read the book, folks, if you look at the back, there's this massive list of sources. You know, you did so much research. How did you, how did you track down some of this information? It seems like some of this stuff was very difficult information to obtain.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was challenging because you know, all of them. You know, there's six different characters in the book, so yeah. you know, had to find primary source material for all of the characters, all those six characters, and. Like I said, they were in uh, different places geographically: Memphis, California, New York, uh, Oklahoma, uh, the Midwest, Chicago, and St. Louis. Um, and so those archives happened to be, you know, spread all over the country. So I had to, you know, do a lot of, um, you know, um, you know, footwork, you know, to to get to that information. Uh, and then, you know, also had to find secondary information on uh, secondary sources to, you know, flesh out the stories. So, I mean, it was a really, um, it took me three years and all to research the book, but it was definitely a labor of love uh, for me because, you know, I feel a personal connection to these characters because they, to me, are so important and they did so much to advance the country, Mm -hmm. you know, advance African-Americans, you know, I I just felt like I I had a responsibility to get their stories out there and to try to get more folks to... to, um, you know, to, to know their stories and to appreciate their contributions.
0: And now this, com- this uh, event that's going to be this weekend at the Clemens Family Farm, the theme is uh, To Sing of Common Things, Making a Way Out of No Way. And I'm wondering how that theme resonates for you and your book.
1: Well, I think they all made a way out of no way. Um, you know, I think they're so extraordinary, the folks in this book, because they did things that most people would have thought were were crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, for the time, whether it was, you know, a black woman going out to San Francisco during the gold rush, which was full of, you know, very rough men, you know, most yeah. of them were white at the time. Um, it, was, it was a frontier, for sure. Um, or it was, you know, a black man developing a town, or you know, starting a bank or, you know, I talk about Jeremiah uh, Hamilton, the first uh, black broker on Wall Street in New York, taking on the Vanderbilt family. You know, so they all did, you know, these impossible things. Um, Most of them coming from, you know, the lowest, you know, station in society. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were just able to execute them Mm -hmm. just through the force of their will and their determination.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's so impressive. Um, what do you see as sort of the lesson for us now after, you know, reading these stories and learning this history? What can we use to move forward from this?
1: You know, I mean, I, I think one of the things that's most applicable is that, you know, African-Americans are too often seen as a dependent class.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, that African-Americans are dependent on welfare. Know just can't do anything for themselves. They lack self determination. You know, and I'm a believer in the social safety net. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I, I think sometimes we don't really realize how um, how much African Americans have done for themselves mm-hmm. uh, and continue to do for themselves. Um, you know, and then that slur that you know African Americans such as lazy, you know, welfare recipients, all these sort of things. Um, you know and can't really do for themselves is is exaggerated and at the same time the obstacles that are put in front of African Americans um, to being successful are sometimes um, you know minimized Mm -hmm. Um, you know I talk about all these folks they had to face you know you know possible you know assassination for what they were doing and so I, I just hope that we can kind of think a little bit differently about black people and money um, and it, you know, black people, you know, work as hard as anybody else. Um, and you know, we often minimize, um, how much harder it can be for not just African Americans, but women and people of color. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to think about that when we think about business and business opportunities and investment in, in you know, uh, financial status. Mm-hmm. Um, can we take that into account?
0: Yeah, I I think that's extremely important The really understanding this sort of like also the discrimination by design that is, you know, decades old, legally built things that people might not really think about, um, I think is really well documented in your book.
1: Oh, absolutely. But
0: so I want to pivot and ask a question for you about yourself as a writer um, and sort of your own path to success. What are the things that you've done? How did you get to this point?
1: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, for me, um, you know, I, you know, before all this started, I was a writer for a small community newspaper uh, here in uh, Brooklyn, which I, you know, which I still love, the New York Arab News, I think. It's a tremendous establishment. Um, But, you know, I certainly, you know, never would have envisioned myself writing a book, um, you know, in a book that, you know, um, you know, resonated with a lot of people. Um, but you know, I for me, uh, I think the big opportunity I had was that I went to uh, Columbia and I went to the famous book writing seminar. I was a participant in that and you know, was just able to develop this idea with the uh, help of my professor, you know, Samuel Friedman, and you know, just stuck with it. You know, I think when I put this book out there, I think Harper Collins was the only one. It was responsive to it, and you know, also had a lot of revisions they wanted me to make, you know, to the to the book proposal. And I think I revised the book proposal for a year Mm. um, after I first made contact with them. And you know, ended up getting a book deal for uh, for the book, and you know, the book came out in 2018. And I think that year it was the fourth or fifth best-selling book, nonfiction book by a black author. Um, you know, so you know, it's, just, it's just, for me it was kind of making a way out of no way going from being a writer for a community newspaper to you know, writing a book that, you know, um was read by a lot of people. So, you know, certainly I nothing I've done compared to what the folks in this book did, but they certainly, you know, are an inspiration.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. Well congratulations. Uh you've really you've really accomplished a lot. And I know um you're going to be Working on a TV series based on the book.
1: Yes, yes, a scripted series based on the book. Really excited about about that. Um, when it is announced, so I can't say too much about it now, but I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Oh, that's great! And then I also, in your bio, you mentioned that you're um, working on a sequel.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know along similar themes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you know. Not a tremendous liberty to say that much until my publisher <laughs> gives me the green light. But you know, I always tell folks, you know, all the characters in the second book um, are actually minor characters in the first book. So, um, you know, I look forward to um, getting out there. And hopefully, you know, it resonates with people.
0: Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah, I began to really. I I'm very much looking forward to seeing how these folks will be portrayed on on TV and also hearing more about some of these other characters who were in the first book. Um, So we can speak to you in person this weekend at the Clemens family farm. And, that will be great. I think we've sparked um, a lot of ideas and uh, initial conversation here um, about your book. And I think the conversation you and Wanda are going to have will be fascinating because Wanda has so many interesting pieces. Uh, Dr. Wanda Hedding Grant, who's the moderator, uh, who I spoke with for the first half of the show. Um, is there anything else you think you'd like to leave us with? Any final thoughts about the book or about the concepts?
1: Um, no, I'm just, I'm just really looking forward to, um, you know, seeing folks in Vermont. It's one of my uh, favorite places and yeah, it's really a privilege to get to be on your show. Thank you for, for having me. And, um, you know, if folks haven't read the book, you can pick it up wherever books are sold and yeah, I hope you like it.
0: Oh, that's great. Thanks so much, Amari. Thank you for your time. It's been great talking with you. Um, okay. Thanks,
1: Jim. All right. It was a a privilege.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Really the privilege was mine. Take care. Okay. And that was Shamari Wills, the author of Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who survived slavery and became millionaires. He will be speaking at To Sing of Common Things, Making a Way Out of No Way. With moderator and my previous guest, Dr. Wanda Heading Grant, Vice President for Human Resources, Diversity, and Multicultural Affairs at the University of Vermont. Uh, you can find out more about To Sing of Common Things Making a Way Out of No Way event series at the Clemens Family Farms website, clemensfamilyfarm.org. Uh, I will also be sharing links if you follow me on the Upside VT on Facebook or Instagram. Both are the Upside VT. I will be uh, sharing information and connecting. Dots back to all these events and these wonderful people who spent their time with me today. Um, I think it's really a fascinating thing to consider to think about both, um, the path to success. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not done by one person. And there can often be huge obstacles in the way for African-Americans in this country. There've been many very hard, very specific obstacles. And this book, uh, black fortunes really explained and, uh, Made them very, very real to me in a way that they had not been before. So I'm very grateful for having had that opportunity. The Upside is produced by me and Spindle and Widget LLC and is recorded live at the Media Factory in the south end of Burlington, Vermont at 99.3 FM WBTV LP, found online at 993WBTV.org. For more information, check out my Facebook page, The Upside BT. shows can be heard on mixcloud.com slash the upside bt and podcasts of interviews can be found at the upside bt on itunes thanks for listening